Welcome everybody to today's episode of the Jadava Show. I'm your host, Jacob Valier. Glad to have you with us on a Friday afternoon. Week two of the NFL season coming up this Sunday. Kicked off last night, Cincinnati and Cleveland. Uh, okay, so talking about Bengals-Browns, right? We all watched the game. We all expected Cleveland to win. We all probably expected a lot of points to be scored because Cleveland's defense isn't exactly great. Um, both quarterbacks they have faced, Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson, have thrown three touchdowns, no picks against the Browns this season. They don't have a great secondary. Um, and we got exactly what we probably expected uh, from Baker Mayfield. He was great early. Started the game 13 of 16, 177 yards, two touchdowns. And we thought, Baker Mayfield, here he comes. Saw all the tweets. Saw everybody coming out and saying, Baker Mayfield's back. And then what happens? Ended the game. I mean, he was pretty much invisible late down the stretch. He was 3 of 6 for 42 yards with an interception. I mean, the running game took over. That was the main story. They finally got Odell Beckham involved. That was the other story. Uh, the, the story wasn't Baker. Okay, and we all... We, we all you know, it happens every time we have a first overall pick. I remember for years, we tried to make Sam Bradford work, right? We tried to make Sam Bradford, who was the number one pick back in 2010, every year. This is the year that Sam Bradford will pop. And then he just kept getting hurt, or he'd play like 12 games, 13 games, and he'd be average all year. Uh, and then he bounced around team to team. In the span of nine years, he played for four franchises was the number one overall pick. Kept getting traded, kept getting cut. It just never worked. You know, some, some players just don't work in the NFL. Sam Bradford never worked. Um, and I, I really do believe that's the case so far uh, with Baker Mayfield. Some players don't work, and I think that's going to be Baker. You know, this was a game last night. Now, I circled it on Baker Mayfield's schedule, and I said... If Baker Mayfield wants to be a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback in 2020, he's going to have to dominate primetime TV at home against the Bengals. One of the worst teams, if not the worst team in the NFL. He has to come out and look great. And he looked okay. 16 of 23, 219 yards, two touchdowns, a pick. Had a 111 passer rating. He wasn't bad. The pass rating looks really good. But late down the stretch, I mean, he always has to throw a pick. He's thrown 37 picks and 31 starts. That's not great. He's thrown four interceptions in his last two games against Cincinnati. That's not great. The Bengals have been awful. Okay, they, they, they've been terrible, and Baker Mayfield usually dominates them. I saw this number, and I was really astonished by it. Baker Mayfield in his career is 4-1 against the Bengals. 4-1, 12 touchdowns, 6 picks, and 5 career starts against Cincinnati. That's really good. Outside of that, 9-17 record, 40 touchdowns, 31 picks. It, when he's, that's when he's playing teams not named the Cincinnati Bengals. 40 touchdowns, 31 picks in 26 starts. Whew. Not very good. Baker Mayfield with those five starts, 
13 and 18, 52 touchdowns, 37 picks. Still not great, but still looks a hell of a lot better than who he is against everybody else. That's who Baker is. He's not a guy you can depend on long term. He's good. He's average. You know, I think the best comparison for him still is Case Keenum. Watching that game last night, do you think that Case Keenum could have done the same, if not maybe slightly better than Baker Mayfield yesterday? Case Keenum's more experienced. Case Keenum over the last three years has sort of been better than Baker Mayfield for the last three full years since 2017. Guess who's won a playoff game? Case Keenum, not Baker Mayfield. Guess who's been to the playoffs? Case Keenum. Guess who's been a reliable NFL starter for the last three-plus seasons? Case Keenum and not Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield, in the last 18 starts, has thrown 23 interceptions. Case Keenum doesn't do that. Okay, not a lot of guys do that. Jameis Winston does it. Phillip Rivers may do it. And Baker Mayfield does it. And no one's talking about Jameis Winston and Phillip Rivers like they're all-world quarterbacks right now. And we're certainly trying to hype Baker Mayfield up to be a world-class quarterback. Sometimes you just don't have it. That's what I saw yesterday. Cleveland should have dominated that game. They have too many weapons. Their running backs are insanely good. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, they, those guys are legit. The Browns as a team are legit, and I think Kevin Stefanski is a heck of a lot better of a head coach than Freddie Kitchens. The chips are all in there. Literally everything is set right up for Baker Mayfield to succeed this season. And all he could muster up was 219 yards and two touchdowns, and he threw a pick against one of the worst teams in the NFL. The Bengals have no defense. Their offensive line is awful. And Cleveland's just Cleveland's just better in every position except for one. In my watching last night, Cleveland has the advantage over Cincinnati in every single position, including coaching, except for quarterback. Case, uh, Baker Mayfield long term is not going to be close to Joe Burrow. Let me talk about Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow was exceptional last night. Watching him. You know, looking at the stats, 37 of 61, 317 yards, three touchdowns. I mean, five and a half yards of pass, or not even five and a half yards of pass. That doesn't look great, right? That's what the stats say. Uh, Joe Burrow is averaging eight and a half yards of completion. That's among the worst in the NFL. You know, you can look at that. On the season, Joe Burrow, 60 of 97 for 509 yards. That is 5.2 yards an attempt. That is an 82 passer rating, but he's averaging 255 yards per game to start his career. The stats will tell you one thing. He's completing under 62% of his throws. Not, the stats tell you, not accurate, not aggressive, not throwing the ball down the field, and not efficient. That's what the stats will tell you about Joe Burrow. But what I saw last night against the Cleveland Browns, Joe Burrow is a true, true gamer. That kid is going to be a stud in the NFL one day. And I never thought this way about Baker Mayfield when he was a rookie. I never looked up watching the Browns, Baker's rookie year, and thought, wow, they are going to be a juggernaut with this kid at quarterback. I still don't. Joe, look, if the bet, first of all, you've got to take everything into context when you're talking about players. Okay, Looking last night at the Cincinnati Bengals, 
I took everything into context. The Bengals may have one of the worst head coaching situations in all of the NFL with Zach Taylor. Looks in over his head. 18 games as a head coach, he's 2-16. and 16. Looks in over his head. Okay, and it's not like he's been bereft of quarterback talent. He had Andy Dalton, a three-time Pro Bowler. He's got Joe Burrow, number one overall pick, reigning Heisman Trophy winner as a rookie quarterback. He's had quarterbacks. They can't get anything right on the offensive line. That offensive line looked brutal last night. They couldn't stop anything. Joe Burrow was under siege his entire night. Looked like he was running for his life from Brown's defensive lineman. It was embarrassing. They can't block. They can't block for Joe Mixon. They can't block for Joe Burrow. That is an embarrassing offensive line. In addition, they have no receivers. And don't give me A.J. Green. A.J. Green's 32 years old. He caught three passes last night for 29 yards. He was targeted 13 times. Okay, that's, you know, that tells me that he's not very reliable anymore. He's 32 years old, and he just missed all of last season. A.J. Green is not a top 10 receiver in the league anymore. What, he's got John Ross? John Ross threw two games as two catches for 17 yards. Didn't have a catch against Cleveland last night. Yeah, and their best tight end just tore his Achilles. Only played two games this season. That's that's it. Tyler Boyd had a huge drop, or he would have had a couple of touchdowns last night, and maybe we'd get excited about Tyler Boyd. But they've got nothing. Joe Mixon so far this season, 35 carries, 115 yards, 3.3 yards in the tenth. They've got no running game. The best running back on that team right now, or the best rusher on that team, has been Joe Burrow. He's been his own best running back. He is under a lot of it. This is, you know, with this situation with Joe Burrow reminds me a lot of what Indianapolis did with Andrew Luck. Number one pick, the team was 2-14 and 14 the year before he got there. And Andrew Luck comes in, and the Colts organization looked at Luck and said, here you go, here are the keys to the franchise, don't screw it up, kid. And he did well. I mean, that team won 11-5. Andrew Luck's a rare talent. And I'll take Andrew Luck as a prospect over Joe Burrow as a prospect. But, that, but Joe Burrow comes to Cincinnati, 2-14, worst record in the league, and the Bengals say, hey, we have no talent on this roster, or hardly any at all. Take it and run with it, kid. Take all the hits. They don't, I, who, I don't even know who their backup quarterback is. Clearly not good enough to beat out rookie Joe Burrow. They've got no coach. They've got no offensive direction. They've got no weapons. And I still think that you all are overrating Joe Mixon as a running back. 3.3 yards a carry is not going to cut it. For a rookie quarterback, he needs all the help he can get. For a young quarterback... And Joe, Joe Burrow is being left out there to die behind that offensive line. He took three sacks, and he lost a fumble on a strip sack. I'm surprised it wasn't way, way worse. He got the ball out quick. He was making the right reads. He was throwing accurately. He had a few drops. But he had barely any time to throw it. That's why you look at, what, 5.2 yards of, of, of throw, 8.5 yards of completion, First of all, he's not getting any time beyond that offensive line, and the Bengals are one of the worst teams catching the ball and running after the catch. And we place the blame on Joe Burrow for that. Joe Burrow 
should have at least gone to overtime against the Chargers last week, was robbed of it by Randy Bullock. And then this week, that game shouldn't have even been close. Joe Burrow threw a couple of late touchdown passes to make it a five-point game. He's an onside kick away from having a chance at the end on the road against the division rival in prime time. Say what you want. Okay, people will say what they want about Joe Burrow as a prospect, about Joe Burrow this and that. I, I know what my eyes saw from Joe Burrow last night. He was, in many respects, worth the number one overall pick. He's going to be a stud. They're, the Bengals are going to win division titles with Joe Burrow and win playoff games with Joe Burrow. That is a fact. And if I'm wrong, you can call me out. But I watched Joe Burrow last night, and I thought, wow, that kid is something else. Best college football season I have ever seen from a quarterback was Joe Burrow at LSU last year. I see Aaron Rodgers and occasionally Tony Romo in him. Very good comparisons. The, the comparison to Tony Romo is not bad. Tony Romo won a couple of playoff games and was a four-time Pro Bowler. A couple of bad breaks away from reaching NFC Championship game. Why is that a bad thing? People are calling Romo a borderline Hall of Famer. Wouldn't you want to see Joe Burrow in the Hall of Fame one day? I think I would. I think I'd take that if I'm him. I see Aaron Rodgers-like downfield accuracy and precision, and I love it. I see Rodgers and Romo and this kid Burrow, and he's going to be exciting. I think if Cincinnati can figure out their offensive line and get Joe Burrow a real head coach, look out. The Bengals are going to be something to watch because that was with no weapons and a horrible offensive line. Joe Burrow gave his team a chance against a team, a division rival that is clearly better than them. That's that's quarterback. Joe Burrow outplayed Baker Mayfield last night, and it wasn't even close. You can look at the stats and think that Baker outplayed Burrow, but I know what I saw, and that was what I saw. So, uh, very impressed with Joe Burrow, and that was my analysis on the Browns and the Bengals. I wanted to get to this, uh, and th- that'll this will be it for this show. But I asked a question for my mailbag episode, and I forgot to um, forgot to address this the other day. But someone asked me, "What are my thoughts on the whole situation over the last few weeks uh, with Jerry Falwell Jr.?" Of course, Jer- I go to Liberty University, as you all listening to this show might know, and Jerry Falwell is the former, now former president of my university. Uh, and in case you don't know, Jerry Falwell Jr. took over as the president of Liberty University when his father passed away in May of 2007. His father had run the show for 36 years, the entire 36 years that Liberty had been a school. Jerry Sr. died. Jerry Jr. took over and had been the president for the previous 13 years. And in his defense, here's my defense of Jerry Jr. He took this school well out of debt. The school was in big time debt when Jerry Sr. passed away in 2007. This school had no national prominence other than the fact that Jerry Falwell Sr. was a controversial uh, evangelical megachurch pastor. He was controversial. He said some outlandish things, uh, but he stood up for what he believed in. Uh, And I think that's what a lot of people liked about the uh, senior Jerry Falwell. Younger Jerry Falwell uh, mostly had a quiet first eight years 
as Liberty's president, uh, they became much more of a prominent football and basketball school. They built a lot of buildings on campus, uh, and all of a sudden Lynchburg was on the map. Enrollment went way up. Liberty became, you know, the highest uh, enrolled college among Christian colleges in all of America, uh, and it was looking pretty good for Jerry Falwell Jr. Not a lot of drama with him. 2015, uh, came under fire for uh, saying some anti-Muslim remarks uh, at convocation after the uh, shootings in San Bernardino, California. Uh, so that was really the first strike on Jerry Falwell as he came out and said that. Then less than a year later, he comes out and endorses uh, soon-to-be President Donald Trump. And then um, uh, he comes out just with some outlandish things to say about Trump over the next four years, probably the entire Trump administration. And then this past summer, it really kicked up. He uh, tweeted a picture of uh, Nor Ralph Northam, the governor of Virginia, wearing a uh, KKK outfit. Uh, Jerry put that on a mask and said, I'm going to wear this mask after Governor Northam issued a mask mandate for the Commonwealth of Virginia. And then uh, Jerry posted a picture of him with what looked like an alcoholic drink and his pants unzipped. Uh, with a pregnant girl who also had her pants unzipped on a private yacht. Uh, and then after that, he was asked to take a leave of absence from the school. And then a few weeks later, a, a story came out uh, by Reuters that accused Jerry Falwell and his wife Becky of having a three-way sexual relationship with Giancarlo Granda, a pool boy um, from Miami having a sexual-slash-financial relationship with him that turned sour. Becky had an affair with this man, and Jerry liked to watch it. Uh, and we can all interpret what that would probably mean, <laughs> Jerry's role in that. Uh, and then Jerry finally resigned as Liberty's president, and now Jerry Prevo is the new acting president of the university. Um, and then a report last night, and it's funny, I didn't answer this a couple nights ago because there was a report last night that Jerry Falwell had actually... Uh, he, what was it? He fell down the stairs. He got drunk a few nights after he resigned as Liberty's president. He got insanely drunk, fell down the stairs, and called 911. Or Becky Falwell, his wife, called 911 and said uh, that he was bleeding everywhere. He was incredibly drunk. Didn't want to reveal that it was that her husband was Jerry Falwell because of what the news would do. But the news still got a handle of it, and um, it's just been a big mess. And uh, so that's a little bit of background on that. So now my opinion. Uh, I've been going to Liberty University since the fall of 2017. Uh, I've loved this university for uh, all three to four years that I have been here living in Lynchburg. It's been great. I love the experience, uh, and I love the people. I love the atmosphere that this place gives off because it's not Lynchburg, Virginia, and Liberty University is not the same place that's depicted in the media as this uh, Trump-wearing uh, uh, Bible Belt of America. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't feel like that. It just feels like a bunch of uh, Christians in one large community that want to be, I know it's cliche, but want to be champions for Christ. And the problem I've always had is Jerry Falwell. I've always had a problem with him. And that was actually one of the biggest reasons I almost didn't come to Liberty because I got accepted to Liberty during my senior year of high school. And a lot of people were, were telling me like, isn't that 
the school that Jerry Falwell owns. Like he's the guy that said this, he says this, he endorsed Trump, all that stuff. Uh, so all the drama that came with it, and Trump actually spoke at commencement the year before I got to Liberty, and it just became, uh, by the time I had gotten here, Liberty had become like a political powerhouse. You know, it was like conservatives everywhere wanted to come speak at Liberty because Liberty was like the banner conservative school in America at that point. And a lot of it was on Jerry Falwell. He wanted it to be like, he wanted it to be a place where conservatives could take over. And it, and it had a very conservative feel yeah, and it just, I just didn't like the feel. And my thoughts have been the same. I remember the first convocation that I had uh, at Liberty. Uh, I came to Liberty. We had, I can't remember who spoke at Convo, but I remember Jerry Falwell was there and I got to see him in person. And I remember thinking he just sounded completely unprofessional, unrehearsed. Uh, he sounded as if he had either a stutter or he had been drinking or something like that. He just didn't sound like a university president, especially knowing how his father talked and articulated himself. His son, Jerry Jr., was just way worse. So I just thought, he doesn't sound very professional. Uh, that was my first thought about Jerry Jr. And then just the more that I heard things from uh, my uh, older classmates and hallmates and RAs just made me, you know, they were telling me stories about Jerry Jr., about how he was uh, not present in the live, lives of the students. He wasn't active in the university. He was just, it was, a, all he could do was meet with pol conservative politicians and try and uh, uphold his brand. Uh, and the biggest problem I had is I felt like under Jerry Jr., Liberty was losing its Christian identity. And that was really what I think a lot of people took really personally was that the loss of a Christian identity sort of did it. I think Jerry Falwell is a clown. I think his actions are inexcusable. Uh, and I think that they are completely out of line and worthy of termination. I think Liberty made the, it completely made the right decision getting rid of Jerry Jr. Uh, because I've been advocating for Liberty to get rid of Jerry Jr. ever since the day I got to Lynchburg. Because I thought that he has handled himself like a fool and given this universe, this great prominent university, such a bad representation of what evangelical Christianity is supposed to look like and what conservative Christianity is supposed to look like, it doesn't look like Jerry Falwell. You know, there are questions within this university about Jerry Falwell as a Christian, if he really is a Christian, if he really is biblically and spiritually sound to lead this university. And the answer for the entire 13 years he was under oath was no, he's not. And his wife cheating on him. There are several reports of his wife having extramarital affairs, so she's not innocent either. I feel bad for the children. I mean, she, they have uh, two sons and a daughter um, and grandchildren. I don't know how many grandchildren, but they are grandparents. And I just feel bad that they're, they're an embarrassment. They have handled themselves in an embarrassing fashion it's been a clown show out of the Falwell house in Bedford County, and it's not, there's no resolve. There's, an, there's a private investigation going out through Liberty University about the Jerry Falwell Jr. administration, and there's going to be more things that come out. Mark my words, I think there will be more things that come out, and it's sad because I 
have always rooted for him. I've never liked him, but I've always rooted for him to succeed because I live under his law, basically. I go to Liberty University. I'm a senior here, and I live under his rules. I live under his law. And I've always rooted for the president of my university to succeed because if he succeeds, we succeed. But he never looked like he wanted to. It looked like he embraced controversy. He embraced secularism, you know, inviting people on The Bachelor to come, uh, conservative politicians who don't share our views and faith, inviting them to speak at convocation when we could be encouraged in the Lord by pastors like Franklin Graham and the late Ravi Zacharias. Those guys would have been great to have. But Jerry Falwell embraced the fact that his school was moving towards secularism and away from its core Christian values that his father, I think his father would be ashamed, frankly, about the direction of this university because it was proud. This was a proud university. Even if it wasn't successful, even if it wasn't financially stable and the athletics weren't all put together, it was proud. They stood for what they believed in and they were firm in them. And that's what's sad about the way it turned with Jerry Jr. is that he wanted to get rid of all of that. He wanted it to be loud and controversial. He wanted liberty in the news all the time. So the news cycle would talk about him. Look, enrollment's gone down for freshman applications at Liberty over the last four years since I got here. People are coming here less and less online and residential because people are looking at Jerry Falwell's behavior and saying, I don't want to be associated with that. I don't want to be associated with him. And that's, that's the hardest part for me. It's easily the hardest part. I want, to be, I want to go to a school that people can be proud of. I don't want to go to a school that I'm afraid to put on my resume one day. You know why? Because this is a school that has a lot of history, a lot of good, sound, biblically sound people have come out of this university and been great pastors. A lot of athletes have come out of this university and been great NFL and NBA players. You know, that, that's, that's liberty. Liberty has changed lives, but it gets the, but the representation of the university for the longest time has been Jerry Falwell Jr., and that is why I had a problem with him. I, had a pro- I, I just didn't like his leadership, and I didn't think we were going anywhere but down as a spiritual institute with him. So I'm glad he's gone. I hope he gets better. I hope he meets the Lord and has a coming to Jesus moment because he needs it. And we all need it. We all need to be praying for the Falwell family because we're not better than them and they're not better or worse than us. They're just sinful people. But there's a difference between putting sinful people in a position of power and enabling them and taking them out and trying to pray for them. You know, I've seen people all around saying, well, we can't get rid of Jerry because we got to show grace to him. We got to show mercy to him. I think we've been doing that for 13 years, haven't we? We've been trying to, but he keeps messing up. He keeps embarrassing himself on television. He keeps tweeting and posting things on Instagram that are embarrassing. He, this is a 50s, Eight-year-old man, 57-year-old man who runs the largest Christian university in the world. He needs to be held to a higher standard, just like with anything. Even if you don't agree, even if you don't agree, people are held to higher standards. 
you know, we talk about sports on this show, quarterbacks are held to much higher standards than right guards are. If a right guard messes up, you could, there's a chance that you still blame the quarterback for a sack or a hit behind the line of scrimmage. Because the quarterback assumes more responsibility, so does the head coach. Not the right guard, not the nose tackle, okay, not the Mike linebacker, not the punter. Okay, those guys can mess up and it's fine. If the head coach or the quarterback messes up, they get the most scrutiny. Why isn't it the same with our leadership at universities? Jerry Falwell messes up and Liberty doesn't succeed. It's his fault. He's the president. The buck stops with him. And I'm glad he's gone. And one more thing. You know, I was telling people the other day, or I was telling this show the other day, don't act like the victim if you're not. If you're not the victim, don't act like the victim. Because then people will see right through, through you and see how thin-skinned you are for trying to be the victim. You know, for the longest time, Jerry Falwell has tried to act the victim in all of this. Oh, the liberal media is out to get me. Oh, you know, they're just trying to tear me down because they have a vendetta against liberty. Oh, you did this to yourself. You notice all that has stopped over the last month and a half that Jerry Prevo has been president? Liberty's not in the news. Liberty's not doing anything controversial. It's just been a university. It's just a regular old school. And Jerry Prevo has done absolutely nothing. Now, that could change. I don't know. He's 75 years old, so I don't know. But he's been absolutely, completely out of the news and non-controversial. What, what a concept. Liberty hasn't been in the news since Jerry Falwell resigned. Because Jerry Falwell was the reason that we were in the news. Was the reason we were controversial. Because Christian leaders don't do what he does. Wake up, Christian America. It's time to hold our Christian leaders accountable. And it started with Jerry Falwell. And now that he's been held accountable and removed from his position as president of Liberty, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to go after. If there's an organization that gets a bad rap because of its leader, here's an idea. Get rid of the leader. Find a way. That's what, that's what Liberty did. It's the smart thing to do. Went on a tangent there. If you have any more questions about my opinion on that, uh, if I didn't articulate something that you thought I should, uh, please ask away. Um, that is it for me, and that is it for this week. Uh, week two of the NFL season is this Sunday. Give you my quick, rapid-fire predictions and what I think will happen or that what's the key to victory for the team that I'm picking to win in each game. Okay, first off, Giants-Bears. I'm picking Chicago to beat New York, and it's not because I'm a biased Washington football fan. It's still weird to say, by the way. Chicago looked great on the road against a division rival last week, and so did Mitch Trubisky. I'm picking them to beat the Giants, and I'm telling you that Allen Robinson is the key to victory for Chicago. Been in the news all week, wants a new contract, Removed all the Bears stuff from his Instagram as of right now, or from his Twitter, whatever. As of now, Allen Robinson is still a member of the Bears. you got to throw him the ball. He's the best receiver on your team. First of all, has there ever been a more undervalued, underappreciated receiver of this decade than Allen Robinson? His quarterbacks, since he got drafted into the league, are Blake Bortles and Mitch Trubisky. Okay, <laughs> and he's still putting up Pro Bowl caliber numbers. That's incredible. Free, trip, free Robinson. Send him to, like, Kansas City or Seattle. And then he'll be great. But 
I'm picking Chicago to win. Trubisky to Robinson is the big connection. I still don't believe in the Giants' offensive line and defense, and I really still don't believe in Daniel Jones. Um, I think Saquon Barkley does bounce back. It'll be a competitive game, but by a nail-biter, I'm picking the Bears. All right, Falcons and Cowboys. All right, picking Atlanta. Matt Ryan, 450 yards, two touchdowns against Seattle. Everybody kills the Cowboys, especially the better quarterbacks. When, the, when Okay, when the Cowboys play quarterbacks that are really good, okay, they're like top 14 in the league. My top 14 quarterbacks last year lost to Aaron Rodgers. Okay, they beat Carson Wentz once, but they also lost to Carson Wentz. They lost to Kirk Cousins. They lost to Tom Brady. They lost to Josh Allen. They even lost to Trubisky. And, folks, they barely beat, excuse me, barely lost to Sam Donald. When they play the better quarterbacks with the better schemes, the Cowboys' defense can't handle it. Matt Ryan falls into that category. Matt Ryan usually plays very well against Dallas. Head-to-head -head against Dak Prescott, I'm taking Matt Ryan. And he is the key to victory. He's got everything he needs. Julio Jones, Todd Gurley, Calvin Ridley. Matt Ryan's offense is loaded. That is a team without real leadership and a coach still with Dan Quinn. But they, they're they better off than the Cowboys. I still think Dallas is vastly overrated. All right, Lions-Packers taking Green Bay to go 2-0 to start the season over Detroit. Key to the game, Aaron Jones. Did not get him going last week. Aaron Rodgers was great. 300-plus yards and four beautiful touchdowns. But Aaron Jones needs to get going if we really want to look at this Packers offense like, oh my gosh, they're scary. Okay, Aaron Rodgers is old. He's like 36, 37 years old. But Aaron Jones is one of the best running backs in the league. If you can get him in space, the Packers usually win with Aaron Jones. Uh, and this is, this is a matchup I like. I'm, I'm taking Green Bay to, to beat Detroit. All right, I'm picking the Titans to beat the Jaguars. Key to victory. Who else? Last year's leading rusher, Derrick Henry. Jacksonville got lucky with Gardner Minshew having an incredible day last, last week against Indianapolis. Faces his second straight division opponent to open the season, but I'm picking Tennessee. I think, I think they look good against Denver, and I think they're going to win this division. All right, Vikings-Colts. All right, I'm picking Indianapolis to bounce back. One of these teams has to start 0-2. It's going to be a tough luck 0-2. Picking the Colts, though. I think they're going to hang in the AFC South. Tennessee will win the division, but I think the second team will be the Colts because Phillip Rivers is good enough, and that roster is one of the best in the NFL. Uh, and I'm just not a believer in Minnesota yet. I'm a, I think Kirk Cousins is a borderline top 10 quarterback, better than Phillip Rivers. But I like Indianapolis's coaching better, and I like Indianapolis's defense and offensive line way better. I'm picking the Colts to win this game. The X factor for Indianapolis is going to be... Who else? Jonathan Taylor, third straight running back that I've called the X-Factor. Jonathan Taylor looks good, and I'm picking him. All right, Buffalo over Miami. I think this is the easiest call of the week. The Bills will be 2-0, uh, and Josh Allen is the X-Factor. He can do it all. He can throw. He had his first career 300-yard passing game last week against uh, the Jets, and I think he looks good. I think he looks improved. They added Stephon Diggs in the offseason, and Josh Allen's already a great runner. I think this is an easy one. Buffalo going 2-0. Second easiest one next week. San Francisco will crush the New York Jets. San Francisco cannot start 0-2 and lose to the Jets. They, the 49ers will easily win 
week two against the Jets, and the X factor is, oh, pretty much everyone. I think the 49ers, are, I don't think there is an X factor in this game. The 49ers will mop the floor with the Jets, and Adam Gase and his team that will be 0-2, they will start asking questions. I don't know if he makes it to Thanksgiving. Okay, uh, Rams and Eagles. This is tough. Picking Philadelphia to win this game. Bounce back from a brutal Week 1 loss to Washington. I think that Carson Wentz gets Miles Sanders back and Lane Johnson, and instantly that offense is a little bit more sound. He won't get sacked another eight times against the Rams, even if they have Aaron Donald. Um, and I, don't, I just didn't love what I saw from the Rams. I thought they beat up on an overrated team in the Cowboy. But I don't think the Rams are as good as the Eagles, and I think Philadelphia is going to win the NFC East, so they got to start somewhere. Uh, X-Factor will be the first appearance of the season for Miles Sanders, and I think they win. All right, Broncos Steelers. Trying to make this quick. Broncos will lose. Steelers win it. 2-0 is Pittsburgh. Ben Roethlisberger had a great game last week. Three touchdowns in his return. First appearance since week two of last season. X-Factor will be this kid, Chase Claypool. He looked good on a couple of catches against the Giants last week. And I think Denver is a little bit susceptible to some number one wide receivers to sort of shut them down. They did that to A.J. Brown last week, which means the other guys like Claypool and like Deontay Johnson will get their opportunities against the Broncos. Real quick, Buccaneers beat the Panthers. That's a pretty easy one. Tom Brady's the X factor, but more in depth, it's going to be Mike Evans in his first really healthy game of the season. Evans catches a touchdown or two, and the Bucks blow out the Panthers. All right, the 430 games, Chiefs beat the Chargers. X factor, Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill looks really good. Uh, they have plenty of weapons. Someone's got to catch it, and Tyreek Hill is the fastest player in football, and Patrick Mahomes has enough arm to get it to him wherever he is on the field. Ravens beat the Texans. Uh, that's an easy one. X-Factor is tight end Mark Andrews. Caught a couple of touchdowns against Cleveland last week. Texans don't have a great defense, and they don't really defend the tight end really well. Just ask Travis Kelsey from a week ago. Washington and Cardinals. I'm going to be a homer and pick the Washington football team to start 2-0. Uh, Kyler Murray is about all they have on that team. Him and DeAndre Hopkins, that is not a pretty defense, and that is just not a pretty offensive line, and Washington has the best D-line in the league, they got Carson Wentz for eight sacks last year. And Carson Wentz is not exactly a statue in the pocket. Uh, they were in hot pursuit. X-Factor for Washington is Chase Young. Let's see. He got a sack and a half and a forced fumble in his NFL debut against Philadelphia last week. I like him against Arizona. I like Washington. Okay, Seahawks going to win Sunday night against the Patriots. And that will be a blowout. Russell Wilson, best player on the planet in my opinion. He's the X-Factor. Seahawks win big. And then Monday night, Raiders and Saints. Yeah, I'm picking New Orleans to spoil the Raiders' home opener. I just don't see Vegas starting the season 2-0, uh, especially with very little talent on their, on their defense. Picking the Saints, their X-Factor is Jared Cook, the tight end. I've really liked him. Other X-Factor would be Emmanuel Sanders. All right, so to recap, my picks this week, Bears, uh, Falcons, Packers, Titans, Colts, Bills, 49ers, Eagles, Steelers, Buccaneers, Chiefs, Ravens, Washington, Seahawks, Saints. Those are my picks this week. That is enough from me. You have been listening to the Jadava Show. I'm your host, Jacob Valier. We'll see you Monday at the end of week two of the NFL season. Have a good weekend.